Welcome to Thriving Perspectives. Thank you for taking a moment in your day to join us, hear our stories, and discover new ways to embrace thriving. I am Terry Dubroy, founder and executive director of Thrive Enabling Potential, and today I'm sitting down with my dear friend, a published author, and the content architect at Thrive, Jillian Ray Pico. Today we are diving deeper into the journey that Jill has undertaken to pursue her vision and passion by becoming a writer. Jill and I go way back to when she was just 14 years old. She was a student in the SOUL program, the interdisciplinary outdoor leadership and environmental science program that I began for high school students, which several other grads have been on this podcast to speak about. After SOUL, Jill attended a university and received her honors degree in English studies with distinction and embraced a dream she had long wanted to achieve, writing and publishing her first book during her final year of studies. Jill's transformation as a writer continues as she crafts books for Thrive's Walking the High Road series, honing her craft through writing, researching, meditating, and challenging her comfort zone as a speaker. An old soul and introverted heart, Jill's understanding the human condition and personal fulfillment are remarkably insightful. Welcome to the podcast, Jill. Thank you so much for having me back here today. It's awesome to be here. It's so amazing to think that by the age of 23, you have already published poetry and nonfiction articles in noteworthy platforms such as Introvert Deer, and have also published two books from the Walking the High Road series with Thrive Enabling Potential, with many more in the works. So exciting, Jill. Let's start by talking about canoeing with the seasons first. Yeah. Perhaps you could discuss what the contents are about the book and a bit about the process as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Canoeing with the Seasons, this book was written at a time where I had begun to realize that, wow, I really do want to become a writer. And I remember you and I had a phone call that summer and you were like, well, you can start writing a book now if you really want. But I was working a job and I thought, oh, I'm so busy. I can't write a book. Then I wrote the first draft and shared it with you. And you said, wow, this is really reminding me of canoeing and all of the metaphors that come with that. Mm -hmm. And everything that we've learned in the past with soul and our amazing canoe trips that we've been on. And I totally transformed the book and split it into four parts. And those four parts represent the four seasons. Growing up here in Northern Ontario, I've always felt very connected to the different changes and transformations that come with the changing of the seasons. It's always felt very spiritual to me. And that was a major part of the inspiration behind the book. And Canoeing with the Seasons, the title itself, is a metaphor, and it's grounded in a lot of what was learned through your teachings and in the Soul Program. It's about moving with the changes that come in life and not trying to fight or resist or push against them and learning to embrace what comes your way, which in different seasons, sometimes it's easier than others, right? And so this year, our team began recording some videos for Canoeing with the Seasons that I wanted to bring up. Just as the book is split into four parts for the four seasons, every season we're releasing a fall video, winter video, spring video, and summer video, where I just reflect and take readers through a sort of journey of those chapters and reflect on different quotes from them. And you should definitely check out our YouTube channel if you haven't already, because the fall one is out. And the winter video will be out very soon. Very stunning visuals as well. So based on the sort of season that you find yourself in metaphorically, there's 
different tools to gather and to work with. And that book, it kind of doesn't give you the answers right away. It provides a lot of room for you to interpret it however it resonates with you, because I'm not trying to give anybody the answers. I'm, it's kind of a way to get people thinking about their own journey. Yeah, I love that. And through the process of the writing, it's such a nice way to have a look at the things that you're doing as a part of that process as well. Could you tell me a bit about that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Writing and my own inner journey have always been very intimately connected, I would say. They've, they're pretty much two in the same. And I think all writers and creative people in general can relate to that. It's your inner journey and the work that you're doing you're kind of able to translate that into sort of universal messaging that might resonate with different people who are reading or listening or looking at your art. And a lot of the inner work that I was doing in my life at that time was taking my own medicine. It was learning to move with my life rather than to be in resistance against it. And that was, I believe I started writing Canoe with the Seasons the summer before I went into my final year of university at that time, I was just kind of feeling disconnected from what I was doing, you know, even though I had been studying hard and getting decent grades, just kind of felt this deeper calling. I'd always known since the soul program and caught a glimpse of that, but, you know, I kind of always play hide and seek with it and sometimes be more connected to my calling than other times. And when I first started writing that book, I was feeling a deep need to become more connected to that calling as a writer. So writing that book was life-affirming for me. It was a mountain to climb that I never thought I could for a long time. I never thought I could write a book. So just being able to accomplish that was amazing. And I'm so thankful for all the support that I had along the way, which was definitely a lot to get me there. We've enjoyed so many hikes together. We've discussed so many different things. And during the writing process for you, You'd spoken about the inner critic or that hyper-perfectionist mindset. Mm -hmm. Could you tell your listeners about that? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I'll say a lot of the inspiration for writing certainly has come from those many hikes that we've shared over the years in beautiful northern Ontario. And there's something about being in nature that definitely, well, there's many things about it, that definitely inspires the mind to come to a more grounded place and to find a lot of meaning. And it really inspires my work. And with that being said, a lot of the times when I've gone out into nature or in meditating in general or getting into my writing groove, you realize, again, that the spiritual side is connected with the writing side. Mm -hmm. And writing in many ways is about kind of working out knots. That's how I like to think of it sometimes that are in the mind and kind of making things a bit more neat. Throughout my life, there's been many different stages of what that inner work has looked like. And the inner critic, I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate. We all have it, some people more than others. Yeah. I think the more you care, <laughs> the more you're likely to have an inner critic. Because the inner critic true. kind of nitpicks and says, oh, everything can always be better. However, the inner critic is not loving. There's a difference. So you can still, I've learned over time that you can still want things to be better and to care, but you don't have to be so punchy and hard on yourself about it. And you can kind of come from a more self-compassionate lens. The inner critic likes to just put you down for feeling that way and make you feel like there's something wrong with you for never being good enough. And so a lot of the inner work that I've done is realizing that, hey, it's really great that I want to make a difference 
but I need to know when that voice in my head is becoming critical rather than loving. And there's a very fine line. It's so hard to know in hindsight that there'll be moments that we go through where we stumble and where that inner critics mean like, come on, get it together. Like, how dare you stumble on that? Or, you know, you should be really going this direction instead. But it's to know, it's like, okay, it's to actually give that pause and to know that this is kind of like that, what we we often discuss and thrive is the uh, feeling forward mindset that relates to that, that there are things that we just need to work through to be able to get to that, to that other place within ourselves and to know that we are on the right journey and we're going in the direction that we need to be on and to find greater trust in that. Yeah, absolutely. And the hyper-perfectionist and inner critic mindset when you fail makes a really big deal out of it and kind of tells you that it's the end of the world and that there's something, it might sound very dramatic because mm-hmm. it is, because it's really, it's an exaggeration of reality, right? And the reality is that failures are those small sort of stepping stones and they are very painful and you do need to feel the feelings associated with it. Mm-hmm. But then after that, you're free to keep going. Right. And the thing I've learned too over time is that applying this concept to my life has made huge shifts because the inner critic and the perfectionist mindset can get you so much in your head that you waste mm-hmm. all of this time. And I don't say waste in the sense that I regret it, but I say it in the sense that, you know, our time on earth is limited. And if we're always in our head about things, then we're missing out on life. And putting it into that perspective for me has just allowed me to remind myself that I want to make the most out of my time. And it's not self-loving for me to be in my head when I could be out living. Right. And I think in a way that would impede something that you like to talk about is flow state. And it can interrupt that process as well. So really there has to be a bit of a reconciling of those to be able to be in a writer's flow state. Yeah, they always say, and you've said this in many different ways before, that the first mountain is the hardest to move. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to get into a state of flow, it's always initially getting out of your head and taking those first couple steps. Those are always the most difficult. It's like waking up in the morning. It's like getting up at 6 a.m. when you really don't want to, but then two hours later, you know it was a great decision Mm -hmm. versus if you just stay in bed. So really just reminding yourself that it's only these next 15 minutes that are going to maybe suck getting Mm -hmm. out of my head. But then after that, it's amazing how you just can lose track of time and space completely when you're immersed in something that you absolutely love doing. Yeah, it's almost spiritual in a way. You yeah. know, it's the, the writing and the spiritual part of that seem to be connected. Yeah, they definitely are. You feel like the most cleansed. And I mean that in the sense, it's almost like water washing over you. Like the word flow, I almost think of water. Mm-hmm. It's just that very calm feeling that we all have when we're in or near water. It's very, you're just kind of moving. And, you know, as we say it in Canoeing with the Seasons, you're moving with the rhythms of life. And they're really amazing to be a part of. So that's another reminder that taking those first steps is so worth it. Yeah. Awesome. So well said too. And it's just the importance of being mindful Mm -hmm. and understanding that place that you're in and also knowing to give yourself thanks Mm -hmm. and the gratitude for working through those things and achieving that flow state, so to speak. Yeah. I know that you wrote your first book while you're at university as well. How would you avoid burnout as an example? 
Yeah, in my fourth year of university, it really was interesting because I did experience burnout a few times, but other times I was like, man, I'm just working hard and it feels great. Mm -hmm. And I'd say for the most part in that fourth year, it was like more so me just feeling like my hard work, it's, it's going well for me. And I was actually, I was overloading, taking extra courses and working a couple part-time jobs while I was completely revamping this very skeletal draft of the first part of the book. And that felt good for me. And I really am grateful to the advice you gave when I was like, oh, I'll wait to start writing the book. You're like, why not write it now? Mm -hmm. And when I did decide to do that, even though it took more time, you know, some people, they don't want to add things to their life because they think, oh, it's going to take up all of my time. And they get in their head about that. But for me, it was like, this is the thing that I love. And yeah, adding so this life in, affirming. Yeah, it really is. And it kind of made, you know, I was in some courses that I wasn't as passionate about mm -hmm. or I had part-time jobs to pay for rent and things like that, like all university students do. And it was like, you know, I don't really want to be there a lot of the time, but if I spend a lot of my time in my imagination and my inner world and just dreaming about a better future and thinking about how I can implement that into my writing, that definitely kept me grounded and showed me that it, it's just awesome to be a creative person and to have creativity in your life. And the, it makes me think of something that we've discussed a lot is that how do we transcend or how do we move mm -hmm. past those parts that are within our own minds yeah. and how do we move those into a productive state of doing? Yeah. And we, we talked about that in the insightful journey. Yes. How do we move from that and put that into a place of doing is so important to, to have happen. Yeah. And it feels so good to be able to do that. Yeah. And it gives us more energy to be able to do perhaps some of the mundane things. And for you, it could have been some of those hoops that you needed to go through to be able to honor your degree program. Yeah, it's the path of mindful doing that we talk about in our book, the think, feel, do. And I think that, I think <laughs> that a lot of, <laughs> think about thinking that a lot of people, um, especially people who are more, you know, introverted or tend to stay in themselves more, we get stuck in the thinking and the feeling and it can be hard to get into the doing. There's been some really funny memes about introverts who it's like, oh, that novel that's been in their head for 12 years that they haven't yet gotten <laughs> on paper. And it's like, as much as that's funny, it's also kind right. of like a sad reality yeah. of what can happen if you don't make that little leap of faith. And for me, that was the case for a long time, I would say until that fourth year of university where I decided, all right, now's the time. Once you finished your honors degree, you're at a crossroads in your life. You had a multitude of options and you had to come to grips with that. Tell us a bit about that process and what that looked like for you. Yeah, I remember it was my final semester of university and there were many options. And for a long time, I'd kind of been gradually learning to not go by the option that other people would want me to ideally go down and that has definitely taken a long time for me and to listen more to my inner voice about what I actually wanted even if it appeared to other people like that wasn't the right option and that was the case for me and when I realized and started telling a lot of my friends at school that you know I'm not going to be going into teaching with you guys I'm going to go become a writer and you get lots of different reactions to that a lot of people are very supportive, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's 
it's what felt right in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I had to think about the long term and think about what I wanted down the line. And although you can never be 100% sure about those things, it was re- what feels right to me right now and what do I want to be doing for the next couple of years. And we had Thrive going, just felt like such an amazing opportunity. The reality of that is, okay, I need to make sure that I'm saving myself the time and space that I need to actually write, which meant moving back in with a family member and giving up perhaps the liberty, you could say, of living out on an apartment on my own. And it was worth it. And it still is worth it to this day, even though it's not always easy. Yeah, It's worth it because it sounds cliche, but it's when you're doing the thing that you love. And I can't remember who said this, but it's when you have a why, you can conquer anyhow. And that's how it feels a lot of the time. You just have to remind yourself, what's the purpose behind this? Mm-hmm. And when I remember that purpose and remember that my purpose is to write and that I'm at my best and I feel most connected when I'm doing that, then it makes the little sacrifices worth it. And over time, it's so cool to see the little wins, the little setbacks, so-called setbacks that there are. And then in the greater picture, you can see how they were the necessary lessons needed to learn at that time. And you can see that, you know, when I was at that crossroads, I had two choices. I could have continued to avoid that calling Mm-hmm. Well, technically I couldn't because I did have a bit of an emotional breakdown, which I'm thankful for because, you know, a lot of the time when we're at a crossroads, it can be very intense emotionally. For sure. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's this inclination that we have to just push it down, ignore it, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the path that you go down. And that's the path of what other people want typically, right? Mm-hmm. And so for myself, I just cried for like an hour and was writing in my journal and was just like, this is the answer. (laughs) And I followed that path, even though it was definitely emotional at the beginning. And, you know, I think if anyone listening to this finds themselves at that place in life, you know, a lot of the time you're told to choose the most logical option. But for me, it was my heart and that emotional part. So don't push those emotions down, you know, pay attention to them. Yeah, you've always been very good at finding balance in your mind, body, and spirit. And it really does take all of that when it comes to these big decisions. I was in discussion with uh, someone last week with Michelin, and Michelin mentioned that it's almost like one of those um, triangle board pieces on a uh, half ball that you'd find in a gym where you're moving to the left and to the right and forwards and backwards and finding that balance w- yeah. with those things. And that really is about that. And I really remembered how in tune you were with wanting to check out those other parts as well, not just your heart or those feelings that you went with, mm-hmm. but you kept yourself in mind first. And that's really beautiful because unless you really do give to yourself, it makes it perhaps more difficult to give to other people too that way in the process of things. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that if I had gone to become a teacher to go get my master's at that time, Mm -hmm. that even when I entered those careers by the end, you know, Mm -hmm. by this point, two years later, I'd be graduating with a degree. I don't think that I would feel like I would have as much to give for sure. Mm -hmm. And that there would always be a little longing in me to do the thing that filled me up a whole lot more. 
Right. And, you know, a lot of people who have many gifts can likely resonate with that mm -hmm. when there's many paths ahead. Yeah. You kind of have to assess which one feels the most fulfilling right now. And it's okay to put things in your back pocket and yeah. you can have them for later. And you never know how you might even be able to integrate different things in the future. And you don't have to stick to one thing forever either. You know, everyone at Thrive and Evening Potential is so thankful for you in so many ways. But really, it was at that crossroads, so to speak, or you making that dedication to the pursuance of your writing, where things kind of began to unfold in really great ways, too. You became the content architect for Thrive, and we're just so lucky to have you for, for that. And also, we began, we began writing a book together at that time as well. And, you know, it's interesting, until those things really needed to coalesce or mm -hmm. or to mesh a little bit more where you felt good in those things then those other things weren't necessarily occurring right yeah. so it's just kind of neat how yeah. when we make that dedication to ourselves and to our craft that you know it's interesting that other doors can open as well that can allow you to walk through yeah. so let's chat about the insightful journey and what premeditated the book and how we got to that and also the experience in uh, writing it yeah, absolutely. So we co-wrote this book together and the inspiration behind it was, you know, we were looking at Thrive from a foundational perspective, which was really fun. And it's so wild when you're at the beginning of something and you kind of have to make that decision. I think that was a really amazing call that you made to this day. It's looking at, you know, a book for individuals, for teams and for educators. So let's start with individuals and implement just basic teachings about self-love and balance, the tenets that we stand for here at Thrive, and think about how we can reach people from any walk of life and not limit, you know, there's different books in the future. We can become more specific with things, but having this foundation and these principles, it's just such a beautiful way to start. So that was the inspiration behind this book. And at the same time, when you begin, you're building a foundation you really have to have a direction and a sense of vision as well. And determining that in the beginning stages was also a time when I just passed the crossroad. And so I'm still feeling a little bit uneasy. Mm. And there's still some question of, did you make the right decision? Or, and there's also, you have no experience. A lot of people my age in their early 20s probably relate to this so much when you first start a new job that you've mm -hmm. never done anything in before and maybe you know that you're good at it but you still perhaps need to have some experiences under your belt to feel that sense of confidence or self-assuredness that was definitely the case when I was writing the book mm -hmm. I said earlier that writing and spirituality are so intertwined and it's so interesting to think about how many lessons I learned that year that were challenging yet so necessary to be able to continue as a writer. Mm -hmm. And if those hadn't been learned, then wouldn't have been able to continue being a writer. And a lot of people may not want to pursue something because they know that there's going to be a lot of challenge initially. But it really is, it's that first mountain to climb, right? And that's what this book was for us. And it really was kind of the uh, metaphorical centerpiece for how yeah. the book was written as well. Yeah, the journey metaphor which really is about it's never ending the journey so are you going to partake in this adventure and embrace the challenges and gather the tools mm -hmm. 
and we really frame these chapters as tools that people can gather in. I really love how at the beginning of the book we say that no matter where you find yourself on your journey, there's something in here for you, but every single person who picks up the book, it's going to be different. And that's just like life. That's just like the, the individual or insightful journey that we all undertake, so to speak, where we're all on a different path. There's something different out there for all of us Mm -hmm. and for our individual needs. Now, what does the, uh, the series mean to you? The title walking the high road, what does that mean to you? Walking the high road, it's about walking the one path that calls to you that you know is the path towards your most fulfilled self. And when you came up with this title for the series, well, we've had it for a long time in the works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in Seoul, when you began that, at the end of every year, you would have students write an A to Z guide Mm -hmm. that they participate in for a Walking the High Road book. And then when we met, in Seoul, or perhaps this was some years later, I'm not remembering the exact time, that was when the idea of turning this into a bigger book series kind Mm. of emerged, that you suggested it. And it was very interesting because everyone would pick their own word and they would all come together. But what that word meant to that person was what they looked like at their best that year or the best memories that they had or that time where they accomplished something that was just really defining for them individually. That just fits so well with what we're doing now. It's really, it just carries on, you know. Nothing's changed. It's just building more layers and adding more layers to those stories. And when we're picking words, we're really thinking about how these messages are personal to us and to our journey, but to many people reading, they're going to be universal. Mm-hmm. And some people who read might not pick up on some chapters, but at a later stage in the game, when they go back, Mm -hmm. wow, this chapter is speaking to me now because the inner work and the new challenges, it's always changing. Mm -hmm. And that's the strange gift of life, you know? Mm -hmm. There's always something new. Just like walking the high road. Yeah. You don't start on the high road. Yeah, definitely not. You You start on the low roads. You got to get to the high road, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Working your way up towards the peaks, yeah it's just worth making the necessary efforts to be able to get to where we need to be. And that's the beautiful part about the Walking the High Road series. It's the efforts that are also involved in that creation of the book. I really enjoyed writing the book with you. I found it so interesting because for me, that was my first experience. Yeah. So it's not something we dialogued much about, but it was, you know, it's something, the newness of it as well. And I never felt like there was a naivety to it. I never had that. I just It just felt like such a comfortable process in writing that book. And also it was grounded in the, the self-lessons, in the parts of our own lives, and also the teachings that were from the soul program as well. Yeah, it really merged those two beautifully together. It was the personal and also the teachings that you've kind of gathered and been able to make meaning of in your life. Mm -hmm. And really, in many ways, it is a translation of your voice and how that kind of resonated with me for a long time. And that's been our experience in writing together, which has been really profound to me. Because a lot of the times when Terry speaks, and our listeners know this, that the metaphorical teachings that were spoken about in previous podcasts, the way that they sit for a long time after... Again, it's always so different for every person because of the amount of space that it leaves. For me, for a long time, 
I would leave, and this has been going on for years before we wrote this book, leave conversations with you and just have these little things you said that I'd just be meditating on mm. and pondering and reflecting on and really finding a lot of meaning through in my life through that and also realizing a lot of the times, okay, you know, I have new inner work to do in this area. Mm-hmm. And all of that over time led me to come to a more balanced place because the reality writing a book too is that you do need some people might argue this because you know a lot of people say creatives sometimes just can go wild and still make art but for Mm -hmm. somebody who's writing from a more holistic and spiritual lens you really need to be balanced yourself to be able to write yeah and so building that balance over time was a result of all of the messages that are in the book it's not like we're talking down to people and saying that this is just the best knowledge ever it's more like this a lot of this knowledge has been learned through really difficult yet meaningful lived experience and i think that's really powerful it's so cool that in the process of writing with you and seeing your development and my development there were many times joe where i wasn't sure you felt like a um a big sister to me sometimes too I've always been open to that process and that's something that I've taken a long time to really cultivate is not feeling uh, because of age or otherwise, like I know more than you and yeah. how dare you say something about it or how could you feel so strong about what, I, what I'm doing or not doing and yeah. we really never had any of that tension. No, definitely not. You know? And, you know, one of the chapters we write about like egolessness That's really how it's always been. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for a long time in my life and the people on our team at Thrive are so rare and amazing this way and many people I've been lucky to meet in the Thrive circle, in the soul circle who just really get it, Mm -hmm. get that it's not about the ego and that age is a defining label. It's a box that we put on people that separates us from people Mm -hmm. and It's about the spirit, you know, at the end of the day, connecting with people who just have genuine spirits and Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean people are perfect, but it means that people are open and Mm -hmm. trying to improve Mm -hmm. and they'll do their best. And wisdom's found everywhere. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's just, we're on our own journeys and it's holding space together and there's no pedestals. It's just, we are who we need to be and we have great things to learn from each other at any age and in any form. And so, so often, Jill, I, you know, I would come away from writing sessions with you just feeling so great about how you picked up my spirits and enabled me to feel good about the things that I was doing. And I just felt that your patience with me was incredible. And, uh, and I'm just so very thankful for it. And, I, you know, in all honesty, Jill, I'm not sure I would have changed a thing with the writing process with you. Yeah. That's so amazing to say in hindsight, you know, there's just everything was so meaningful about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, it's not easy writing that first book. And I didn't, what I found the most difficult was it didn't have anything to do with working with you. It more so had to do with the inner work that I was doing, which I find really interesting. And the things that I was working through in that first year of writing, that was the most challenging. Mm -hmm. And dealing with burnout because I did burn out pretty badly in that first year, but I was in denial of it 
which is yeah. really funny to me too in hindsight you mm. know being able to look back and be like wow it's funny because you can be writing about something and trying to give and give to other people mm -hmm. but then the irony you know maybe you're not taking care of yourself enough right and that was the case for me it was giving too much that i didn't have mm -hmm. and part of me felt like i need to prove something because i've chosen an alternative path and so i need to work really hard but you know these were all rules that i was just inventing in my head mm. and there as you've said to me there are no rules mm. of course we all need guidelines of course we all need standards but we don't have to be so rigid and again it comes back to that inner critic and we don't have to invent things that cause us harm mm -hmm to be successful, to be fulfilled, mm -hmm. to accomplish our dreams. Yeah. Yeah. It's finding peace and love for ourselves yeah. and making sure we take care of ourselves. It's so, so important to do that yeah. and to be self-aware and to be mindful about the things uh, that we do. And uh, you yeah. really work through that really well. And uh, I'm glad you gave yourself the space and the time for those things. And you continue to do that today. Yeah. Thanks. I'm thankful you've arrived at this place in your life that you find balance in your gifts and knowing which way to go and, um, and the best ways to move forward with it. That's pretty darn incredible for your age. And for those listening at home, I, I would think a, a good part of your success, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is the importance of knowing that you've got to do the work. Yes. And that's something that, you know, I know we've talked a lot about. It's, you got without doing it, without working through it and giving yourself that space and time for it, it may or may not go well. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I was younger and even the way just in general that my generation is raised a lot of the time, Gen Z, it's like you're the victim or somebody else can save you. Or if you go to a therapist, they'll solve all your problems. And none of that is true and I learned that through experience when beginning soul and coming to realize a lot of these truths that I had not known from when I was younger and when I was dealing with a bunch of issues that I thought I was a victim to and that there was nothing I could do because that's how adults were talking to me about it and that's just not the reality you know a lot of people think that something else, again, is going to save them. And again, I'm not saying not to get help and to get support, but I am saying that it's only when you receive support and then apply it to your life independently that things come to fruition. So mm -hmm. the only way you can apply it independently is by making efforts, of course. So doing your work and doing your work intentionally as well. So knowing why you're doing the things that you're doing. In your early teens, before discovering the SOUL program, I know you experienced struggles related to your mental health, Jill. In a previous podcast, you shared that you experienced obstacles before learning to cultivate a thriving mindset. Would you be able to walk listeners through some of the struggles you had in your youth before you began SOUL and what life was like leading up to the program? Yeah, so I kind of think of it just the contours of it really is being at somewhat of a peak, then going into a valley for quite a long time, and then 
gradually working my way up again when soul started. But yeah, what that peak looked like was when I was in elementary school, I was a high achiever. I did very well. My year before going into middle school, I can't remember exactly which grade that was, but yeah, I was really, really doing well in life. It was a lot of success and my future looked very bright and I was doing excellent as a swimmer as well and was like top nine in the province at the time. And then it was just so stark what happened when middle school started. And it was hard to determine what exactly the forces of that were. I think there were a lot of darker forces at play in my life. I think one of those is that I've just always been very sensitive to the energies and the people surrounding me. And I sort of started to get the message that if I want to fit in, I've got to be somebody I'm not. And that I really wanted to fit in with other people. And so I did that. And... It was also a time where, you know, the iPods are coming out and social media is a really big problem and nobody knows anything about it. Not even the teachers really know what to do about it. Yes, absolutely. And I am a product of that, I would say. And everybody's just addicted to social media. So I fell into that. My mental health was not good at all. I was engaged in some self-harming behaviors and just in a very negative state of mind. And, you know, although I kind of did what I had to do at school, kept up my grades and still went to swim practice, I definitely was at a plateau. Like I never saw any massive improvements in my swimming after that. And I just kind of didn't really like school, but I remember I'd always be the first person to finish assignments because I just like wanted to get it done as quick as possible and move on to other things. And there were a few traumatic experiences that happened to me when I was younger, I don't think the details are necessary because what I find more interesting is just kind of, as I mentioned earlier, just thinking about the way that that was treated by the adults in my life and getting the message a lot of the time, you know, by no fault of these people, because a lot of the time we don't have the knowledge, we don't know these things, but how I interpret it was, I'm a victim of my life, life is happening to me, there is nothing I can do about it, and I was just very passive. And I just felt kind of like the universe was out of my control. The people in my life, the bad things that sometimes did to me, I had no control over those things. And it was a really major shift for me when I was lucky to meet a school counselor in grade nine who I remember she just looked at me differently when I was telling her about these issues in my life, like I usually with with counselors. And I remember her just looking at me and thinking very silently and taking a moment before she spoke and I was like this is kind of weird like why isn't she saying anything that's actually when she was like I want you to speak with Mr. Dubroy and she's like I see potential in you I think that a lot of what you're going through you just need an experience that can help you like reach your potential basically which is kind of a cool full circle thing thrive is all about enabling your potential Yeah, we had our first conversations in my grade nine year. Soul wouldn't start for another two years. But there was a leadership camp that year that I was a part of. And that was led by Soul students. Yeah, it was peer-led. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was led by Soul students who were in grade 11 and 12. And this trip was not like anything you would ever expect. It was... It was like entering a portal into another world is how I like to think of it now. 
you know, you go on this bus with a bunch of people who a lot of them were struggling kids from what I remember, you know. Yes, they were. Yeah, people in the high school system who were also dealing yeah, with mental across health. Across the board struggles. Yes. Yeah, I remember some of those personalities mm-hmm. and yeah, there was really no better experience I think we could have had. You know, it's sitting down with a counselor talking about your problems compared to going on a bus and into the wilderness basically Mm -hmm. where it's just completely silent you're surrounded by log cabins and there's a frozen lake behind you in the middle of winter and it's so cozy and there's trees everywhere you know i imagine most of these kids like myself had just been city kids like not really had any outdoor experiences Mm -hmm. and i remember on that first day we got into a circle standing on this big snowy field and that's when you and tony just you know you introduced yourselves but then you just started being so silly (laughs) and playful and i can't remember exactly what activity it was but i do remember you know feeling like you know that's the first time you've seen these adults let their guard down and just play and have fun and there was just a sense of warmth and safety you know, even though all of these kids were troubled, it was like I could see that light coming out in them too. And, you know, I'm not the most outgoing person in the world, but it's like you have little conversations with people. You can see people letting their guard down, getting to know some people a bit more. And it was really beautiful. It was very calm and peaceful. And there's really, it sounds so simplistic, but there's hardly any other way to describe that. You know, that a huge juxtaposition Mm -hmm. between worlds. It really was a different world. And it was something that I carried with me. But at the same time, I remember getting back on the bus after those first few days and getting cell reception back and getting these text messages and just going back into my cell phone addiction, you know. My mental health still wasn't very good for the years leading up to Seoul. And I did what everybody else was doing. I was partying too much kind of numbing my feelings a lot and it was just kind of the norm for high school culture Mm, and for many for sure yeah absolutely not for everybody but it was definitely a a place that a lot of people get sucked into but I remember going through a few more really difficult things and then about a month before soul was starting just kind of having this like voice in my head Just being like, you know, you've got to start letting go of some weight. This is where it begins is now. And realizing that if I want to get the most out of this experience, I have to turn inward. And I just I just kind of intuitively knew that, even though I think some things were likely said by you to imply that some students pick up on those things. Some don't right away. But Mm. for me, I just kind of knew it's time to invest. Yes. Time to invest. And. I remember becoming a lot more quiet and meditative and some people in my life were kind of confused by my behavior and stuff, but I just kind of, it's like a silent peace out almost, you know, like that's how I think of it. I think that's a nice way of saying it too. (laughs) I've heard it referred to as divorcing your friend Mm -hmm. or making amends or making some changes for the better Yeah, that, that are not easy to go about doing, but are necessary to better surround yourself with the things that are. more affirming for yourself yeah for sure and a lot of people 
it's just one of those things that's difficult to describe to people sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to cut people out or that's be a right. mean person, but especially when you've been someone who's been so self-conscious about what other people think and tending to other people for such a long time, it's kind of like a bit affirming to do mm-hmm. that. And you're not doing it with the intention of hurting others. You're doing it with the intention of healing yourself. And it's about the intention. I think that's more important. So, And that was what things were like for me before soul i would say and i am forever grateful to renee lacourzier she was the school counselor who was different as i mentioned and she was such a positive force and she's always been like that in such a a strong yet humble and i would wait and i would even describe her as a quiet leader you know mm-hmm. she's when she helped out in the soul program she's just yeah, she was, uh, the nickname was Mighty Mouse, right? Yes. She was <laughs> yes. not very tall, uh, quite muscular, but. Yeah. And she would just solo canoes and oh, take them up on her shoulders and go. Not a problem at all. Yeah. So strong. And uh, she really was a silent leader in so many ways. She led by yes. example. Yes. And I think she changed a lot of lives in the school system, yeah. not just mine. So I'm very thankful for her and, yeah. and being a part of that journey. Yeah, I miss her. Me I too. miss uh, miss having her on trip all the time. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to figure out a way to have that change. Yes. It's so important that we have people in our life that help to gently guide us to where we need to go ourselves and the things that we need to open ourselves up to more. And when we are a part of doing neat things in really neat places, like we were at that retreat center just outside of Algonquin Park for that camp that you're referring to, it really does allow for good things uh, to occur or greater insights. As you know, many, many moons later now, when you're a part of those things and you see other people doing them, that the, the power of place is so very important. Yeah, absolutely. The years where I've been able to come back on trip, it's just like when we go on our hikes and that feeling of synergy and of being connected to nature, it brings out the best in people. And we've talked extensively on this podcast about the power of place for good reason because it's so often forgotten. Yeah. And when we feel like we've lost sight of ourselves or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're at that crossroads, mm-hmm. it's going into a different environment, you know, rather than a lot of the time we try to go inward and, and solve everything and kind of wrestle with ourselves. But You know, while there's much to be said, absolutely, for doing your inner work that we've spoken about, it's definitely important to be connected to your environment and realize how important that is for, you know, the most natural environments, Mm -hmm. it can be said, connect you to the most natural parts of yourself, too. I'd agree. But I'd also add to that by suggesting that if you are also not necessarily sure about it, it's still a worthy process to be a part of anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, age has a lot to do with that. But even a lot of older folk that we've had out on trip really need a a bit of time to be able to really know what they're a part of. And then, you know, often you see these aha moments, day Mm -hmm. two or day three, where they're like, oh, wow. And for some folk, they need that time to, to connect to their surroundings a little bit more. Yeah. And to nurture that. Yeah, it is the unknown. And people tend to instinctively fear the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a survival instinct that we've always had is to fear the unknown. But the reality is that if you're with people who are experts and who are trained and who are safe, Mm -hmm. then that 
provides a safe container Mm -hmm. for you to simply exist and you don't have to worry about those worst case scenarios because those things are taken care of for you and i believe that in Seoul, we've been absolutely blessed and in Thrive, we're absolutely blessed and the people who partake in these endeavors with us because you can release that extra fear and realize that it's not necessary to have that. And you can, the worst case scenario has already been thought about by the people around you, you know, yeah. so you don't have to think about it. I remember having many one-on-one discussions with you during the, the Soul program and the way that you lit up when learning about stages of growth and development in life, especially. What are some key moments that stand out to you, Jill, when you think of your memories of learning in the program and how have they shaped you and who you are today? Yeah, there are many. I I was about to say you could write a whole book about it and we did write a whole book about it, which is funny. (laughs) (laughs) But there are several that stand out that I'd love to share today. And these are really sacred to talk about because, you know, such a small group of us are selected to be a part of these things. And I'm really thankful that I've been able to be a part of these things. And one of these was when we first went to Spirit Point. So Spirit Point was where I did the leadership camp when I was in my grade nine year. And when I was in grade 11 and began Seoul, we went back to Spirit Point that winter. We were sitting in a circle and we are handed out sheets of paper with a pencil and were asked to write down, I believe it was three hopes and three fears anonymously. And we did so. And then the papers are shuffled out and handed back around the circle. And we read them out loud. So you don't know whose paper you have. As everyone was reading theirs, I remember thinking in my head, like, wow, we're so similar. Mm -hmm. That was really poignant for me because As mentioned, I went through a really difficult time in my life where I was so in my own suffering and in my own fears. And when everyone reads theirs aloud, you realize, wow, these people around me are feeling the same way. And sure enough, when you and Tony debriefed the activity, you pointed out the same pattern. It's like, wow, we all have such similar hopes and fears for how the semester is going to unfold. And look, we're we're all here together. Mm -hmm. And... It's just one of those moments that it's hard to put down on paper because it it's really, it shifts the paradigm in your way of thinking right yeah. from, and that was only on the second, imagine on the second day of school that happening. Like yeah. it's, it's huge. It was amazing. And it really set the tone for an amazing year. And um, we went on two five day canoe trips that year. There were some mass, some massive learning that took place for me. It takes place for everyone on trips because Again, when you're out in nature, there's no distractions. You're more present, yet at the same time, for high school students, it's often their first time doing this. So it's all the more intense for a lot of people. And I think it was day one or day two of the trip that as soon as the tents were set up, I just was overcome with emotion and feeling pretty negative in my head and had a meltdown in my tent when everyone was at the fire. And I remember you meeting me outside my tent and you took some camera equipment that I had and you placed it in the shape of a triangle and kind of pointed to it as though it was split horizontally into three different layers. So the base of the triangle, you said, this is going through 
the middle is growing through and the top is becoming. And that really helped me in that moment because it put things into perspective. I had been so engulfed in my own emotions for a very long time as well. And so a lot of my learning that year was about in those moments, what's the bigger picture? As you said, what's the context? And when you realize that, you discover that this is a part of the journey and this is that base layer that I need so that I can continue to work my way up. And it's also a reminder that I'm only 17 years old and here I am at this super cool experience and I'm not going to let this crazy emotion send me into a spiral. Instead, I'm going to realize that I'm feeling this way because it is new. And again, people do feel these intense feelings when you're in a new situation. And so I'm just going to embrace it and accept it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all things in time, you know, everything feels like such an emergency sometimes. Yeah, at that age too. And even with, like you've said, with older people. Mm -hmm that emergency survival mode can go Mm -hmm. off a lot of the time. For sure. And it makes it hard for any learning to take place until we can manage kind of where our thoughts and feelings are about those things. And then to go, okay, no, no, I can, I can breathe some love and light into that and, you know, and uh, find a way to recalibrate. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a really powerful year for you and for the other students that year, but your learning continued on as you, you came back as a as a, a leader yeah. in the program, and uh, and you did that full time. Yeah. Would you like to talk about that experience? Yeah, I was really lucky that year. I remember you saying to me towards the end of the soul year that our journey is only beginning. I just always wondered, and throughout that summer, sometimes I would think on it, and it kind of felt like I had some unfinished business. It kind of felt like that first year of soul was like I made it halfway through something. Mm-hmm. And still had another ways to go. And like I had gathered a lot, but still need to process it. And I wanted to be able to give back was really what I was feeling. And then in grade 12, you said, let's try and make a co-op where you can come and be a leader for soul students this year. And that was the first co-op. And since then, many soul grads have been back. And they've been able to bring the leadership skills that they gathered in the previous year mm-hmm. and kind of be this extra guiding light for these students who are having all of these wonderful experiences. And I think it was such an amazing decision. I'm very thankful to have been able to come back. And in that year, you suggested that I had a story to tell and a book inside of me and began to write that book about the experiences, the transformations that I had felt throughout the program. So I was writing uh, whenever students would be working on assignments a lot of the time. And by the end of that year, we had a rough draft of the book written. And although it was never fully completed and I reframed it in countless ways (laughs) (laughs) and probably will continue to because that's kind of the beauty of fiction, which is probably a whole other podcast episode for someday down the line but it still felt amazing you know at 17 or 18 to be like wow I I wrote my book Mm -hmm. or a book just in general and it might not be the best book in the world but it's a book yeah it was your story in in essence you did suggest fiction but really it's this beautiful story that, that keeps retelling itself so to speak yeah 
It definitely does. And it takes many forms, which is part of the gift of being a writer, is I've really learned over time, you know, and one of the messages that you relayed to me in those early stages of realizing that I really wanted to be a writer full time in my life was that you can just let your imagination be what it needs to be. And that allows for reframing things in new perspectives. And why that's also somewhat spiritual to me is because, you know, for a long time, I always thought things had to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. I thought when I was writing my first book that I had to get every detail right. (laughs) But I wasn't always thinking about how if you just let your imagination and your heart space kind of work through you a bit more, Mm -hmm. that that is what makes a story all the more compelling and allows readers to kind of put themselves into the story too. Mm -hmm. So it really was a lot of learning about sort of the balance between the details and the greater picture for me. There's so much wisdom in that for sure. And the listeners, I'm sure, are picking up on that. Uh, It's so valuable. And it's incredible to think that six years later from that experience, you've just continued to grow into your own and to being the woman that you are, the writer that you are, and uh, sharing your many gifts with, with the world now, which is incredible. And uh, I love uh, having opportunities to watch you speak publicly about what you do and about your gifts. I, I enjoy the little workshops that you've done. I, uh, the work that you've done with students through soul still and um, helping to, to guide the next generation of people. It's so inspiring to be around. I'm learning all the time from you and everyone else from the team. It's so fun, isn't it, when we surround ourselves with the things that allow us to be great. Yeah, it is. And yeah, again, it's so cool to realize those things through Thrive all the more when, again, it's that full circle thing where it's like, when I was younger, and a lot of listeners can relate to this for sure, is we think that we have no control of the world. But when we start to realize, you know, making those efforts and surrounding yourself with people who are on a wavelength that inspires you, that pulls you, you know, you can be on that wavelength too if you're doing your work and it's just a better wavelength to be on. It's just because it's not fun, you know, to always... feels good to be authentic and real. Yeah, it does. And to not make excuses for things or cover up realities with illusions that or pretend that the problems aren't there you know Mm -hmm. like the distracting route that's the low road that's not the high road right and it's as we write about our books it's super fun in the short term until you realize that a couple years later that you don't really have a foundation for your life Mm -hmm. and that there's nothing sort of building because you've just been living off of immediate gratification that doesn't have a lot of meaning behind it You know, the discussion for the last little bit we've been having has had me think about one of the metaphors that we used in in our book. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the Believe chapter. Yeah. And that references um, how we kind of work through our life. And that really does relate to what we were talking about just now is, you know, we almost start in the the trunk of our car. It is our car, but we're in the friggin' trunk. Mm -hmm. It's dark and it's tough and... 
there's not a lot of room and you know you're being driven around by other forces than than your own because you're stuck in the trunk and and you realize that this is not a good place or a space to be in necessarily and there are other things that are worth pursuing and doing and you find a way to push the back seat down a bit and and next thing you know that kind of falls down and you climb your way into the back seat it's like oh this feels a little bit better i'm now in the back seat out of, of the shadows right out of the shadows yeah. and in your car and uh, you sit back and take a moment some deep breaths and you're like wow i can see things from the back seat of this car this is a lot nicer smells better looks mm -hmm. better yeah there's more room you can see out the windows that's yeah. it mm -hmm. But you realize in time, though, that that's not necessarily what what's needed uh, any further is to be guided in your car, you know, your own car. And you realize, hmm, hmm, I think there's time to make a move and you kind of climb over into the passenger, the front passenger seat and, and you sit there and you're like, whoa, this is a very different perspective that you yeah. have. And and uh, you can see things even even better from there out the window. Mm -hmm. And uh, often the you're the co-pilot. You're the person who is helping the driver to navigate. So you're the one with uh, with the map, so to speak, mm -hmm. and allowing for the driver to focus on what they're doing. But you can help to get them to where they need to be. And and that feels really good. Yeah. Because you're really being helpful with what it is that. Uh, what the car is doing and what you're doing, you know, but we all know that the best place to be is behind the, you know, to be in the driver's seat of your own car, yeah. you know, in your mm -hmm. life and uh, to eventually slide over and to put your hands on the steering wheel and, you know, and it takes time to be a good driver and to mm -hmm. know where to go and what to do and, you know, to, to, to give yourself a little bit more of that self-control over those things. Yeah. And it's so progressional, yeah. you know, we have to give ourselves that time to work through those things and to find those things. Yeah. And they're all necessary parts of the process too, right? You can't just jump straight out of the trunk into the driver's seat, you know, mm -hmm. you won't know what you're doing unless you have been through back seat and the passenger seat you know when I think about how this relates to my story it's like it's universal it's all of us in childhood or when we experience trauma or difficulties in our lives we're in the trunk when we're in the back seat probably still a kid or still feel like you have no control over your life and you know to me going to that passenger seat that was the process of finding new understanding through soul and mm -hmm. I'm very grateful because it's such a rare opportunity, but for many of us listening who didn't partake in such an experience, you know, that's the moment where you do something that makes you a bit uncomfortable, but is good for you. Mm -hmm. And perhaps there's somebody who you really look up to who's in that driver's seat beside you, and you're kind of learning from them as they go. And, you know, countless listeners here will say, hey, that was like Mr. Dubroy for me, or that was like Tony for me. Or another mentor in their life. Yes, another mentor. And, you know, I just want to make a quick comparison here because I was thinking about this earlier. And this parallels really closely with the Divine Comedy, which was written a long time ago. And there's these stages where you begin in the dark wood of error, which is kind of like that trunk. And then you go into the Inferno, which is 
kind of like the hell of your life and you have to face that hell mm-hmm. and you know it's so interesting in the divine comedy and i was reading it i was like wow how we got out of that was he had a mentor and that mentor was a poet virgil who was his guiding light and led him out of that inferno and you know you're in the passenger seat there so it's these stages are just so universal and i just think that's so important for people to know because as we write in our book where nobody's different from anybody nobody's more or less deserving Mm -hmm. we're all deserving and if you want those extra resources or support to get yourself out of that back seat and into the passenger seat you can have that in your life you can seek it out and it will come to you and you can drive your own car to get there yes right yeah and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about doing your work you know, getting yourself to where you need to be. Yeah. It doesn't matter what someone else ultimately says to you. You've got to be able to get yourself there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the last part to that, and uh, it's one that I, I relish and love working on, are my funky decals on the side of my car. <laughs> right? All those stickers and the like. Yeah. And you can decorate your own car. It's the Make de- it your it's own. It's the detailing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, sometimes too, you can even change your car. It doesn't have to be a car. It doesn't have to be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give for young people or anyone for that matter who is interested in following a passion or a creative calling? I would say, you know, similarly to my younger self, who was very concerned with fitting in and being a part of a sort of herd mentality, just wanting to be like everyone else for a sense of belonging that doing so is kind of like putting the cart in front of the horse, right? And you've spoken about this before and it's really powerful. What it basically means is if you're looking for something external before you go inwardly, just switch the equation, you know? Go inward and think to yourself, you know, what's my passion? What's my creative calling? Okay, now that I know that, now I'm going to go find a place somewhere for me to pursue that. Instead of trying to be something that you're not and then kind of wondering, you know, why don't I feel fulfilled? Mm -hmm. To be a creative person or to pursue a passion often means leaving the mainstream to wander on the side trails. You know, there's the cliche, old yet beautiful quote is not all who wander are lost. And you might appear lost to some people who are part of, you know, the mainstream or the herd. Mm -hmm. But if you know within yourself that you're wandering because you're creative, because you have amazing dreams and you're making efforts to do that now, then, you know, that's amazing. So just really stay connected to yourself, especially if it means you have to go against the grain a bit. Yeah, that's well said. You know, I I pick up a few different things from that. One, um, until you're ready, you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if you've got some things you got to get out in your life, you know, and um, for some it's partying. Yeah. Or it could be uh, productivity or otherwise that relates to that. Maybe that's just a part you've got to kind of work through a little bit. It's hard to be mindful about those things. So a lot of people just kind of go through all of these things. Yeah. But until you're ready, you're, you're truly not. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to be ready to make some sacrifices. Mm-hmm. and. Some people would say, oh, it's not a sacrifice if you're giving up something that's going to help you anyway when you give it up. But the truth is that a lot of us do feel 
or you know especially if you have an addiction to something or a habit that you've been doing for a really long time at first it can feel like a loss you know when you have to make a sacrifice Mm -hmm. but the reality is there are sacrifices that need to be made if you are going to pursue something because you need time and space not only to do the work of getting things done so to speak but also as we've mentioned in this podcast to do your inner work because you can't do one without the other especially when you're a creative person Mm -hmm. that's very true and the other part that i that i was picking up on is the importance of balance as well as that relates to your life and i know that uh, physical exercise for you is a really important component that enables you Mm -hmm. to be a better writer and to swim right yeah so Exercise was something that I walked away from for a while and I felt completely out of balance and wasn't, you know, it was when I started to exercise more, whether that was running, hiking, swimming, yoga, you know, I tried to find the things that worked for me because the reality is that exercise is not the most fun thing in the world, Mm -hmm. but exercise, it just, you know, I used to actually tell myself this intention. It's like the reason I'm going for this run right now is and not stopping midway through is because this is going to, I'd actually kind of talk to myself this way sometimes. It's like, this is going to send oxygen Mm. to my brain. Mm. And like, that's really good for my brain. And that's going to help me be a better writer today. And it's also sending, pumping blood to my heart. And that's really good for my heart. And I'm going to feel a lot more calm and grounded today. Mm -hmm. And so that extra half hour, hour that you make in that day, uh, just contributes to you feeling more stable And you don't, you know, there's this thing, writer's block or creative Mm. block. It's like, there's no such thing. If you're maintaining balance and, you know, as we've spoken about with flow state, making sure to get through that first really crappy 15 minutes that you can have a really great hour or whatever afterwards. It feels really great to positively fulfill ourselves. You know, some people relate that to happiness and some people think that's just notional that, you know, happiness is not the correct way to look at the direction that you want to go in. I think it's very misunderstood. What brings us happiness for one person from a negative context that could be sitting on a couch doing bong hits for, (laughs) you know, days and months at a time, and that doesn't get you anywhere. You're just within your own imaginary world. Yeah, and it's very easy for a lot of creative people Or people, you know, when you start pursuing a side trail, oh, I'm on my own now. Nobody's watching. I can do whatever I want. It's very easy for that to sit in. So you really do have to practice self-discipline. There's more than meets the eye. And I say this and I'm learning all the time. And I would say there's some months where I'm a lot better at it than others. But the point is, you know, a journey's never linear. But when you're making efforts consistently over time, it does contribute to you getting to that peak even with the highs and lows but you just don't want to get off the trail you know you want to stay on the trail and the side trails are a part of that but you don't want to go into you know kind of like the dark wood of error you don't want to get lost in the woods Mm -hmm. so to speak i like that that really works for me it's been really fun to be able to share time with you and to listen to your journey i feel so fortunate 
that I've been able to see you grow in so many different faucets of your life and to get behind the driver's seat of your car has been incredible to be a part of. I thank you for your humbleness and the patience that you have for me in my journey for writing and being a guiding force for me in that way and in other ways. I'm so thankful for the work that you do and share with so many people and you bring so much love and light to the world. It just, it's just awesome to be around. And I just can't wait to watch, to see, and listen to all the things that you have uh, that'll be in place in the future. I wish you nothing but the best and I can't wait to see where things go. Thank you, Terry. This has been an amazing discussion. It's one adventure after the next, and I'm so thankful to be a part of it with you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Thriving Perspectives. If you enjoyed this and would like more content from us, see the links in the description to visit our website and to follow us on social media. If you thought of someone in your life who might be positively impacted or inspired from this episode, please share it with them. If you have any thoughts or questions on today's topic, or if there's a particular subject you'd like us to explore in future episodes, feel free to leave a comment down below or reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Take care, and we look forward to connecting again with you soon. And keep on thriving. Mm-hmm.